this topic is so important. I've been anxious to just kind of dive into this together, but it's so important because the bottom line is that ultimately all of us, regardless of who we are, we will be, and in fact are being, discipled by something or someone. That's just the reality. That whether we know it or not, we are being discipled by something or someone. And so, um, you know, we, we all are following something. We've all accepted and are living our lives based on a system of beliefs and a philosophy of living that influences every decision that we make. And sometimes we're not aware of it, but those philosophies that we have adopted and, and uh, the, the, the school of thought that we are following, it impacts you know, everything. It impacts how we think. It influences how we respond during times of difficulty and conflict. It influences how we interact in our interpersonal relationships. It influences how we raise our kids. It influences what we do with our time and our money and on and on and on. And for those of us who have identified ourselves with Jesus Christ, what we are really doing or what we are supposed to be doing is we are choosing to identify with a system of beliefs that Jesus taught. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are modeling our lives based on the way that he lived his life. And that's really what discipleship is. That's what we mean when we talk about choosing to follow Jesus. And so we began last week by talking about this, this new kingdom that Jesus has invited us into. And if you missed last week, I encourage you, go back online. You can go to our website or through our app, and you can watch any of the archive messages, but I encourage you to do that. But we talked about how that Jesus has invited us into a new kingdom. And we talked about what it might look like in some particular ways if we actually lived in such a way that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives actually reflected the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That, 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 that the, the intent of being citizens, that's the intent of the whole thing, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray things like, um, on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. And, and of course, we don't have to look any further to, uh, for what on earth as it is in heaven is supposed to look like than the life of Jesus. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Gospel stories are intended to be an illustration for us of what on earth as it is in heaven looks like. That is the life of Jesus. It demonstrates that this is what it looks like when my kingdom interacts or intersects the kingdoms of this world. Of course, we know as we read through the gospel stories what happens, right? Prisoners get set free. Hungry people get fed. Poor people get cared for. Sick people get healed. Broken lives get mended. Uh, those who are not considered valuable are suddenly given value. Religious hypocrisy is exposed for what it is. Those are some of the examples that Jesus gives us of what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks in. Now, I know there's a temptation for us uh, when we read through the Gospels to say, yeah, but that was Jesus. I mean, after all, he was, he was God. But, but here's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's not fall prey to that temptation. Jesus was the original model. 
Jesus is the original model. But then what he did was he sent his disciples out and he said to them, this was the instruction he gave them, is you guys go out and do what you've seen me do. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, we're told that Jesus, he gathered his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to do what? to do the same things that he was doing, to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then if you skip down to verse 7, he says that as you go, as you do this, proclaim this message. This is your message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he says, don't just proclaim it, show everybody what that looks like. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, for freely you have received. I've given you my authority, freely you have received, freely give. Now I know, again, the temptation is to say, yeah, well that was the twelve. I mean, these guys were kind of special guys, they were handpicked by Jesus. Uh, well, let's, let's look at Luke chapter 10. This is another instance. This time, it's not just the 12. He, grabbed, he, he gathers together 72 of his disciples, and he sends them out, and he gives them this instruction. He says, when you enter into a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. I like that instruction right there, you know? <laughs> just go and, 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 and enjoy the food that is offered to you. Eat what's offered to you. But he goes on. He says, heal the sick, who are there, and tell them what? Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then you skip down to verse 17. It says that the 72, they come back, and they're all excited. They're filled with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Whenever he heard this, when they came back and said, we went out, we did what you told us to do, and it worked like you said it worked. And he says, when he heard that, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he's saying that when the kingdom of God is on display, Every other kingdom, every other system of this world must bow down in submission to the authority of the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom. This is what we've been invited into. Jesus says that every other rule, every other system of thought, every other way of reasoning must come into submission to the kingdom of heaven. I even saw Satan's kingdom fall. The systems of this world, the ruler of this world, I saw that fall when you began to proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so some people say, well... That was the 72. You know, I mean, those guys, uh, they, they operated in an apostolic age, and, and that authority was given to them for a, specific, uh, for a specific time so that they could illustrate the power of God so that the early church could be established. But that apostolic era, that time passed along with the passing of the disciples. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. 
These are the last words that Jesus speaks. He, he, he's been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He, he, is, he has shown himself to over 500 of his followers, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, and, and he speaks these words. We talked about it last week. We call this the Great Commission. Some in the modern-day church has told us that this is the Great Omission, but it is the Great Commission, co-mission, just by the nature of the word. It's his mission. He's invited us into it co-mission he says this all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in other words he's saying i have i have come to be the intersection between heaven and earth that there used to be this great separation but i have i have come and i have bridged the gap and so now under my authority I have authority in heaven, I have authority on earth, and under my authority on earth as it is in heaven can actually be a reality. And he says, because of that, therefore, because of that, because of this authority that's been given to me on heaven and earth, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, normally, when we quote that verse, we stop right there. But if you'll notice, there's no period. There's a comma. And, and Jesus says, he says, you know, go into all the earth and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he goes on from there, and he says, and teaching them to obey all. Say all. All. All that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. I I like the way the the contemporary English version puts it. It says it like this, just teach them to do everything that I taught you to do. This is my command to you. Go into all the world and teach them to do everything I taught you to do. Well, what did he teach them to do? He He taught them to live in this world but not of this world as citizens of another kingdom and to live under the authority of that kingdom, but also to demonstrate to the world this is what the kingdom of God looks like. I know we live in this world system, and I know what the culture says, but there is another way of living. We live according to the kingdom of God, and so we teach and we demonstrate what that kingdom looks like. And so the question is, and this is an obvious question, is why is it that we don't always see that lived out today, even in the church? Why is it that we don't see that lived out even in the church? Well, well I'm, I'm going to tell you, just, this is just what I believe, okay? I believe the reason why is because even in the church, rather than measuring our lives against the original standard, which is Jesus, Instead, we tend to compare ourselves to each other and previous generations. We we compare ourselves to lots of different things other than Jesus. We compare ourselves to other churches. We, We compare ourselves to other believers. We compare ourselves to church leaders instead of the original standard, which is Jesus. He is the original standard. And whenever we do that, whenever we compare ourselves to anything other than Jesus, what happens is we wind up creating a kingdom 
that reflects our own human ability and personal preference rather than a kingdom that reflects the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again, okay? Whenever we compare ourselves to anything other than Jesus, we, we create this kingdom that reflects our own human ability. Well, these are the things that I can do. I can't do anything beyond what I can do. This is my own ability. And, and at least my ability is a little better than so-and-so's ability, so maybe I'm living a little bit, you know. And, and if my ability is not as good as somebody else's ability, then what's wrong with me spiritually? We, we create a kingdom based on our own human ability and our personal preference. Well, I like this. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure that I like that portion. So I kind of ignore that portion of the kingdom because I'm not comfortable with it. And we create this, this thing that we call Christianity that really, when you boil it down, it is a reflection of our own human ability and personal preferences rather than the authority of Jesus Christ. And whenever we do that, what we have done is we wind up with an inferior product that may in some ways resemble and carry the title of kingdom, but ultimately falls way short of what Jesus demonstrated that the kingdom is supposed to look like. Let, 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 let me just give you an illustration to try and help you understand what I'm talking about here. Not long ago, I, I heard a story about this pastor whose church was uh, taking on a, a, a massive building project. And, and this pastor, he was kind of a hands-on kind of guy, and he, he didn't mind getting his hands dirty, and he was kind of in the middle of everything. I don't know anybody like that. But uh, he, he wanted to be in the middle of this project. And so um, he, 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 was, he was, in truth, he was driving the contractor crazy, all right? So I, um, years ago, I, in a previous life after college, I ran roofing crews, and I always would have customers who would come to me and say, when you give me a bid... Um, give, me two, give me a bid of how much money would I save if I took off work and I helped with the labor on the project? And I would always be generous and give that bid. I would say, you know, if, if this is the bid, it'd be like, you know, $5,000 if, if I did the project myself. And if, you're welcome to help out. If you help out, it'll be $7,000. <laughs> and so if you, you've ever done any kind of contracting work, you know that to have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing to come in, it's more work. And so this guy, he just wanted to help out, and he's driving the contractor crazy and uh, you know every time they're, they're doing something the pastor's like can I help build this wall can I help hang this sheetrock and and on and on and every day he's just driving the contractor crazy and so the, this contractor says man I got to come up with something for this guy to do he's going to drive me nuts and finally he comes up with with what he thought was a great idea and so he was prepared when the pastor came to him and and he he, he told the pastor he said you know we're going to build some walls tomorrow and over here, we've got a pile of 100 two-by-fours, and they're all different sizes, but we need them all cut to eight foot so we can use them as studs. And so if you want to cut those tonight, those will be ready for us. We'll come in, and, and uh, it'll be perfect. You'll help us out a ton. And so the pastor, he's all excited because he finally gets to do something to contribute to the project. And, and so that night after everyone leaves and he's done with all his pastor stuff, he goes to this pile of boards, and he takes the first two-by-four, he lays it out, he takes his tape, tape measure, he measures eight foot exactly, he makes the mark with his pencil, he takes his saw, he cuts the board, 
He measures it a second time after it's been cut just to make sure it's perfect. And it's, it's right there at eight feet. And so he's all proud of himself. And so he, he grabs the next board and rather using his tape on it, he takes the first board that he had cut. He lays it on top of the new board. He marks the board off of that, takes the board that he'd measured off of and cuts the new board. And then he grabs a new board, sets it down, takes the board he's just cut, laid it on top of it, marks it, cuts the board. And he does this over and over and over again for a hundred boards. Well, now, I see some of you shaking your head because you've experienced this. You know what happens. You know, every time you mark the board, it's a pencil length longer than the last board. So every board's about an eighth of an inch longer than the last one. And so if you're doing one or two boards, not a big deal. hundred boards... All of a sudden, he's got boards that are like nine feet long. And so the contractor comes in the next morning, and he's looking for something that resembles the original. And what he finds is something very different from the original. You see, this is what happens. Unfortunately, in the church, we we always drift when we measure ourselves by anything other than the original. And down through history, as we have measured ourselves in the church from a previous generation rather than from the original, there's a tendency for us to drift. We always drift when we measure ourselves by anything other than the original standard. And and what I want us to understand this morning, we got to hear this. Jesus is the original standard. He was was filled with purity. He was filled with power. He was filled with compassion. He was filled with wisdom. He is the perfect example for us to follow. And listen, in our following, here's the reality. We may not do it as well as Jesus. In fact, in many ways, we probably won't do it as well as Jesus, but that doesn't mean we have the right to change the standard. It doesn't mean that we have the right to customize Jesus' teaching in order to fit into our reality. Because the gospel that Jesus preached, I want you to hear me on this this morning, the gospel that Jesus preached, which we talked about this last week, The gospel that he preached was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago, I've come to tell you this morning, it still works today. Yeah. Thank you for that woohoo. That's worth a woohoo. That the gospel that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago, it still works in today's day and age. Okay? So now I'm ready to start my sermon. (laughs) That was just the introduction, so no. I I, I say all of that to say this. I'm convinced with all of my heart that kingdom life, life, a life committed to following Jesus is actually the cure for whatever it is we face in this life. Kingdom life. Life in the kingdom. It's the cure for whatever we face in this life. In other words, Jesus provides for us. This is good news, folks. We talk about the gospel being good news. This is good news. Jesus provides for us a way of living that will help us navigate through whatever it is that we face in our lives. Whatever it is that we have to deal with in life. In fact, I'm convinced that if we follow Jesus, he will always lead us 
not only through whatever it is we face, but to wherever it is that he wants us to be. And can I tell you that wherever it is that Jesus wants us to be is a place that we want to be. It's a good place. He's the God of immeasurably more. That's what Paul says. He says, to the God who is immeasurably immeasurably more than anything that we could think of or imagine. And so dream your best dreams. Think your best thoughts. And they fall way short of the dreams that God has for your life. And so Jesus is the one, and following him will lead us through and to wherever it is he wants to be. Now listen, I wish this morning that I could stand here and tell you that Jesus promised to us to us is that we'll never have to face tough things in life. That his promise is that he'll lead us around whatever it is that comes our way in life. That is not his promise. In fact, we have this great and wonderful promise that says in this life, you will have trouble. I don't know how many times I've quoted that verse. I've never gotten an amen on it. (laughs) This is the truth, that in this life, you will have trouble trouble. He he hasn't promised us that he will take us around things, but what he has promised us is that he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and he will always take us through whatever it is that we have to face in our lives. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe with all of my heart that a life of discipleship, a life dedicated to following Jesus day by day, moment by moment, is the solution for navigating through this world that we live in and ultimately allowing us to live a life of contentment. How many here would like to be content? Some of you, the rest of you are liars. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I have learned what it is to be content in all things. He says, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm well-fed, whether I have plenty or I don't have anything. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is, he is saying, in Christ, this life that I have chosen to live of following Christ, in Christ, I have discovered how to live in such a way that that whatever is happening out there, all of the things that I cannot control, whatever is happening out there, because I'm following Christ, it cannot impact what's taking place in here. In fact, Paul says it's the other way around. That because of what Christ is doing in here, it's going to have an impact on everything that's going on out there. You see, this is kingdom life. It's an upside-down kingdom. If, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. These are the words of Jesus, and he's talking, again, about discipleship, and he says these words. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And I want you to, I want to hone in on these next words. I want you to pay attention. He says these words. He says, it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Paul says, or Jesus says, it is enough. 
Jesus says it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher. It is enough. That, that, that idea of it is enough, being a disciple is enough, Jesus puts forward this, this idea here that, that means that following him, it is enough. Following him provides such a quantity and quality of life that it fulfills all of the demands and needs of a person's being, and it is the secret in finding contentment in life. It is enough to be my disciple. Following me is enough. We, we, we live in a culture where we've kind of lost the meaning of enough, haven't we? In fact, if our culture, if it's about anything, it could be described as a culture that is all about more. In, in fact, our, our desire for more has caused us to even invent new words and new language. It's, a, it's because, because you know, our, our old language wasn't sufficient and, and to describe our desire for more. And so now we have words like supersized. An extra large. You know, I mean, why in the world would I want a large fry when I could have an extra large? And, and why would I want a regular Coke when I can supersize it, you know, for 40 cents more? We, we've developed this language that, that, that describes this innate desire that we've been discipled by our culture that we've got to have more, that enough is not enough. It's never enough. And so we always want more. You know, we want bigger, we want better, we want newer, we want nicer. This last week, uh, Laura and I were, were talking with her parents about this. They, they hadn't come to visit us. They live out in Colorado, for those of you who don't know, and they hadn't come to see us since we moved into our new home. And so they came, and uh, we were sitting in the living room of our new home, and we were talking about the house and some of its features. And and, and one of the things that this particular house has that we've never really had before, but in the master bedroom, it has this big, big, big walk-in closet. And uh, as we were talking about that, I can't remember who it was, her mom or her dad mentioned that, you know, 50 years ago, closets like that were pretty rare, that houses weren't built with big walk-in closets. Because 50 years ago, people didn't need ginormous closets because they didn't have all the clothes that we have, Right? They didn't have all the shoes that we have, right? Come on, yeah, I heard an amen on that. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, I, I was going to pick on Laura on this, and I can because she's not here this morning, um, but I knew one of you would tell her on me. Uh, she's helping organize the Alzheimer's walk, which I know we have several participating in that. Uh, and they'll be probably watching online later, so hello to all of them. Thank you for doing that. Uh, but, but I could pick on Laura on that, but the reality is, you know, when I think about it, I've got shoes that I don't need. I mean, I only got two feet, right? And so the reality is I've got shoes in my closet, not near as many as Laura. <laughs> not anywhere near as many as Laura. So. No, I've got shoes in my closet that the truth is I don't even wear them anymore. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. I just have more than I need. And yet still, there are times when I'm out and I see a pair of shoes and I, I, the thought will come to me, I need those, you know? And so I buy them, right? We, we live in this culture. Oh, by the way, 
Do we have any Kansas City Chief fans here besides me? Oh, one? You're my people. Do I see somebody else? I got two people here. The rest of y'all are Denver Broncos people. So, no, anyway, Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback for the Chiefs, and he's like all that, you know, in the NFL now. And so I was watching the other day on ESPN, they were doing this um, uh, story about him as he's kind of come into prominence. He's a young guy, 22 or something like that, maybe 20, 21, 22 years of old age. And he lives in Kansas City now. He's building this house, and he built this room that is like bigger than my master bedroom for his shoes. I mean, shelves, and he collects them, and he doesn't buy them all, you know, people, companies send them to him and all that kind of stuff, and he collects all these shoes, shelves and shelves of shoes. It looked like a sporting goods store, and there's like accent lighting that shines on the shoes and all that kind of stuff. So remember, we compare ourselves to other people, so I'm not near as bad as Patrick Mahomes, right? <laughs> so, but we live in this, we live in this culture where where there's this insatiable desire. We have been discipled that happiness means more. That's the culture that we live in. And then Jesus comes in on the scene, and, and one of the things that he brings with him is the answer for our unhealthy desire for more than enough. He, he says, in this world where, where people just keep consuming, Jesus says, I want to teach you where you can live a life so content that you don't have to get sucked in to the thinking that if I just had more things, then I'll be happy. He says, no, if you follow me, what I want to do is I want to I create this hunger that's inside of you, not for more stuff, but I want to create this hunger that's inside of you for more of me. Because the key to contentment is that when a disciple is like his teacher, when you become like me in the way that you live your life, you will discover true happiness. When you become so entrenched in the kingdom that stuff can come and go, and it will, you will discover that the measure of your happiness isn't found there. Instead, it is found in becoming like me. Jesus says, for a disciple to be like his teacher is enough. Now listen, this is not elementary Christianity 101. This, this requires a deeper way of living. This is a call into a deeper way of living life. And it's a call that this world that we live in so desperately needs to hear. In fact, one of the things that really bothers me about 21st century Christianity is that in many ways we have reduced it to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and then later when you die, you can experience eternity life with him forever. And in the meantime, we just kind of go on and live our lives, and the reality is that the life we're living doesn't look much different than the life we had before we asked Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins, because we're just waiting for heaven. And we've determined that's Christianity, that that's what it is to be Christian. 
And so we have a whole bunch of people who have gotten saved from their sins and then parked right there. Listen, folks. Now, that's like me opening the front door of my house, stepping through the entryway, and then trying to live in the foyer. <laughs> and I'm missing the, the enjoyment and experience of the whole rest of the house because I stopped where I entered in. We, we've lost the fact that Jesus' invitation, that's why I love when you read through the Gospels and you read the way that Jesus invited people into the kingdom, his invitation is, come follow me through your salvation, through the confession and forgiveness of sins. But that is intended to be the entry point of beginning a new life, living in the reality of my kingdom as my disciple, living your life like I live mine. Now let's, let's talk for just a moment a little bit more about what, what it is to be a disciple. I don't know if you know this or not, but that word that, G, that word that we use for disciple is not a word that Jesus invented. In fact, before Jesus, people like John the Baptist had disciples, right? There were people, uh, there were other rabbis, there were Greek masters like Plato and Socrates, they had disciples. And there's, there's a Greek word that we get where we get our word for disciple, it's the word Matthias. The Jewish word is a word Talmud. And both of these words carry the same idea with them. It's the idea of one who has become an apprentice of a master. It's the idea of someone who is committing themselves to, to a, a practice and to a way of life that is embodied by that master. And, and as they leave their old way of life and follow that master, they are allowing the, the master to define reality for them. And so as a disciple, all of reality is filtered through the philosophy or the way of life of the master. And so uh, our simple definition of discipleship, we talked about this last week, is simply to follow. That was Jesus' invitation. But if we break that out a little bit more, by definition, a disciple is someone who has become a learner of a master's way of life to the point that they begin to embody what that master has defined about reality. And Jesus says, it's enough for you to become a disciple of my reality. That, that the, the desire is to begin to see things the way that he sees things. To begin to feel about things the way that he feels about things. To be able to do the things that he does. To live life with the same priorities that he has. The same mindset, the same goals as he has. That is enough. In other words, as a disciple of Jesus, we look at the life of Jesus and we determine my deepest desire is to embody the same life that he's embodying. This is one of the reasons that the early church, they fought for this idea that Jesus is not just fully divine, fully God, but he is also fully human. In fact, there were some heresies that rose up. One of them was a, a theology called um, Docetism. 
And the main premise of Docetism was that they denied the humanity of Jesus. They believed solely that he was divine only. And so he lived his life here on earth fully as God, but not human. And our early church fathers, they resisted that teaching and they, they ended up labeling, labeling it as heresy. And the reason that they did that, it's so important because our early church fathers knew that if we lost the truth, that yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human, then there would be absolutely no hope for us. That we would fall into the thinking, yeah, but that was Jesus. He was God. And so they held on to this truth that, that Jesus was also fully human. And in his humanity, he demonstrated for us that we can live the kind of life that he lived. You see, one of the things that Jesus as fully human modeled for us is that you do not have to be a God in order to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. Instead, as a human, you can be filled with the Spirit of God. This is how Jesus is fully human, navigated through life. This is how he functioned. If you read through the Gospels, again, it's all there. You'll find over and over and over again as Jesus goes out and he's demonstrating on earth as it is in heaven, the Gospel writers will say something like, then Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Or then Jesus being led by the Spirit. And then there's this on earth as it is in heaven event that takes place. Jesus is demonstrating for us not just what the kingdom of heaven looks like, but he wants us to understand how to operate in the flesh but of the kingdom. He's demonstrating where the power comes from. It's a life being filled with and directed by and empowered through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus becomes this embodiment of how human life is to be lived out on earth as it is in heaven. It's a, it's a whole new way of how human life is to be lived out than they had ever experienced before. And then on the heels of the Great Commission, go into all the world, demonstrate the authority of the kingdom, teach others to live under that authority. On the heels of that instruction is Acts chapter 2. That happens, right? They, they were all together in the upper room, and the Spirit of God descends on them like tongues of fire. And it says they were filled, and by being filled, they were enabled to live and move throughout the world just like Jesus showed them. I think it's so interesting. You know, Peter, he's, he's the early leader of the church. And if you read through the story, it blew me away when I was in Israel because if you go to the courtyard of Caiaphas' house, where if you know the story that it's in that courtyard that, that Peter denies Jesus three times. In fact, there's a little servant girl, and he denies Jesus in front of this little servant girl. And if you're in Israel, less than 300 yards from that court, uh, courtyard is the upper room. And, and after being filled with the Spirit, Peter stands out in front of a massive crowd of people and he declares, Jesus was not only the Messiah, y'all killed him with great boldness. What was the difference? Peter in the courtyard, 300 yards Peter preaching the gospel boldly. 
The difference was the Holy Spirit had filled him and enabled him to do what he could not do on his own. It was in the power of the Spirit. I'm I'm telling you, this whole idea of, of bringing on earth as it is in heaven, and it goes with you wherever you go, I'm telling you, isn't that better than just living a life of I got my sins forgiven so that 50 years down the road when I die I can go to heaven? Jesus says that we can experience eternity isn't about later, it's about forever. Eternity begins now. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come in my coming, and you can experience it. And Jesus demonstrated for us that it is not only possible, but that it was his plan all along, not to wait for heaven later, but to experience the rule and the reign of heaven now. I mean, mean, it's one thing to give Jesus our sin, and we need to do that. But it's a whole other thing to submit our entire beings to his lordship and to say, I'm not going to just give you my sin. I'm going to give you all that I am and declare that you are the Lord and master of my life. And now you call the shots. You are in control to offer all that we are to him and then to allow his Holy Spirit to fill us and control us and flow through us into the lives of those that we come in contact with. You want to live a content life. You want to live a meaningful life. This is the way, folks. Being like Jesus with demonstrations of kingdom power, feeding the hungry, setting captives free, healing the sick, taking authority over the demonic, exposing religious hypocrisy, bringing life and love and giving value to the valueless. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want to live. And I believe with all my heart that that is the life that Jesus died to give us. You see, the power of the cross, yes, It is great enough enough to forgive us of the penalty of sin. But the power of the cross is also great enough to deliver us from the power of sin in our lives. The control of sin in our lives. The power of the cross is enough to enable us to live the kind of lives that Jesus created us to live. And I'll tell you right now that if you want to become like Jesus, that's the goal of discipleship. If you want to become like Jesus, to become an apprentice of Jesus, that does not happen by accident. If if you're not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, spending daily time learning from Jesus, reading his word, spending time in prayer, if you're not being discipled by Jesus intentionally, then you will unintentionally be discipled by someone or something else. And what I mean by that is when it comes to things like like love, if you're not allowing your mindset when it comes to love to be shaped by Jesus, then you'll allow it to be shaped by something else, by the culture, by, by Hollywood, 
I mean, come on, there are all kinds of movies and television shows out there, and the, all, uh, most of them, the main theme is this theme of love. And so they're discipling us, they're teaching us, they're shaping our mindset. This is what love looks like, and this is how you treat people, and this is what it looks like to live a life in love. And, and, and even though we, we, we all know that Hollywood has like a horrible track record when it comes to love, most of us, because we're not intentionally allowing Jesus to shape our thinking, are unknowingly allowing movies and TV to shape our thinking. And when it comes to things like money, come on now. Jesus had more to say about money than almost any other subject. Come on. Because he knew it was important. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And I'm after your heart. I'm not after your money. I'm after your heart. And I will come against anything that competes for my love and my attention. And so when it comes to things like money, if, if I'm not intentional about allowing my mindset on wealth to be informed by Jesus, then unintentionally, I'll allow the culture to shape my mindset on wealth. I become, I become shaped by how everyone else around me thinks about money. You know, get as much as you can, consume as much as you can, accumulate as much as you can, give any of it away. Why would you want to do that? I mean, you worked hard for it. I mean, unless it benefits me tax-wise, then yeah, I might throw a few bucks here or there. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've come to inform you. I've come to shape your mindset around a new way of thinking and living. And what I've, what I've blessed you with isn't just for you to be hoarded and consumed, but instead, I've blessed you with what I've blessed you with in order to bless others through you. In order to go out and spend money on a bunch of duffel bags in order to give away to somebody that you'll probably never meet. Come on. I blessed you with what I've given you. And we're not just talking about money here. We could be talking about time. I've given you the time I've given to you to give it away to bless somebody else. We could talk about talent. I've given the talent that I've given to you in order to give away and bless somebody else. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? The answer is nothing. Everything that we have has been given to us. And Jesus says, as you have been freely, if you have freely received, freely give. Come on. And so he wants to shape our minds and things like that. Listen, salvation rescues us from the human we were never meant to be. Discipleship sets us on the path of becoming the human we were always created to be. Salvation saves us from the human we weren't meant to be. We're living in sin. We're acting in these ways that are not pleasing to God. Salvation saves us from that. But discipleship is what sets us on the path of realizing and becoming the person that we were created to be. In following Jesus, we begin to discover our destiny. We also discover what it is to really be human and live life in the kingdom of God. Discipleship is about 
how we're trained to be that human that we were created to be, how we discover how we discover to be that human we were created to be. That's what discipleship is. And so we're going to wrap things up, and I'm going to invite the band to come, and I want to wrap things up with this idea. Jesus says that life in the kingdom of God is available to every single person. I don't want us to lose that. Life in the kingdom is available to every single person. It doesn't matter your status in this kingdom, this world that we live in. You can be rich. You're welcome in the kingdom. God doesn't hate rich people. You can be poor. You're welcome in the kingdom. God hasn't ignored poor people. You can be highly educated or not educated at all. You, you can have grown up in the church or just discovered the church. You can have lived a great moral life or you could have blown it big time. Which, by the way, all of us have blown it big time. You're welcome in the kingdom. In this kingdom, you are welcome. The kingdom of God is accessible to you. This is the message of Jesus, that wherever you come from, the kingdom of God is accessible to you. And through Jesus, you have the opportunity not only to experience the forgiveness of sin, but to base your entire existence in him, in his kingdom. And when through him you enter into this kingdom, yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Jesus. He will wash you and he will cleanse you of your sin. But by his spirit, he will begin to renew your entire being and his desire is he wants to change everything. Everything. Your way of thinking, your way of relating to other people, your priorities. He wants to change how you how you. Treat things like your time, your talent, your treasure. He wants to change everything that you do so that you actually begin to live your life in a way that resembles how he lived his. And listen, you can't do that. But what we're talking about here, I can't do that on my own. But it's only as we say yes to him, as we live as his disciple as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill and direct and control and empower our lives, will we do that? That's why we rejoice. And what we rejoice in is Christ in me, the hope of glory. So here's what I want to do as we, we wrap things up. I'm going to invite you this morning to just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to take a long time here. But you may be here this morning. And you've never taken that first step. We talk about the doorway being salvation. You've never taken that first step and invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, to confess, Jesus, I know that I have lived my life in such a way that is displeasing to you. I've made decisions that hurt myself. I've made decisions that hurt other people. I am a sinner. And this morning, my invitation to you is to confess that. Jesus said that if we confess our sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so this morning, if that's you, I want to pray a prayer for you this morning. And I'm going to invite you to just pray this simple prayer in your own heart. 
Jesus, this morning I confess I'm a sinner. And I, I've blown it. I have made decisions that I wish I wouldn't have made. I recognize now that they are decisions that have hurt you and they've hurt me and they've hurt other people. And today I just want to confess that. I confess that sin and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And your word says that if I believe, if I, if I put my faith and my trust in you, if I believe in you, that you'll save me from that. You'll forgive me and you'll give me eternal life. And so today, I want to receive that and I believe it in my heart. And so I ask you to come in today and fill me. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I, I, I believe with all my heart. If you pray it, Jesus is faithful. He said that he'll do it. He said, if you confess, that he'll forgive. There may be some of you here this morning, you prayed that prayer, and maybe you find yourself in that place that I talked about. You've stepped in the door through salvation, but you've kind of parked yourself right there. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has more for you than what you've experienced. He wants to fill you. He wants to sanctify you by his spirit. He wants to empower you to live a life that is beyond anything that you could think of or imagine. And he wants to do things in you and through you that you never even dreamed you could imagine. And so this morning, I want to invite you to just invite him and pray something like this. Jesus, this morning, I thank you for what you've done in my heart. I believe you've forgiven me of my sins. But I recognize that a life of discipleship means you're calling me to something more, to live life in your kingdom, where it's not just about my sin, it's about your reign, where it's not just about my forgiveness, it's about my obedience to you. And I want to give all that I am to you. I want to declare today that you are my Lord and my Savior, you are my Master, and I want to model my life after you. And I recognize this morning that I can't do that on my own. I mean, I've tried to do the right things, and I I feel like the Apostle Paul that the things that I want to do or the things I can't do and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep falling into and I, I live in this cycle and I hate it. And this morning I recognize that you've given me the solution by the coming of your Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd fill me today. Invade, invade my life, not a hostile invasion, but one by invitation. Invade my life. Sweep through every room of my heart. And if you find any place that I have other gods occupied, where my allegiance and my love is devoted to other, anything other than you, I pray that you'd make that known to me. And I want to get rid of anything that comes in between my relationship with you. I want you to have all of me. And so fill me today. Help me to live a life of a disciple. I want more. I want more than just waiting till I die to experience heaven. I want to experience on earth as it is in heaven. And so I give myself to you today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, this morning, if you prayed either of those prayers, here's what I want to invite you to do. The band's going to sing, and they're going to help us just kind of wrap things up, but I'm going to invite you to pull out your Connect card. And uh, on the card, there's a little place there that says, you know, that I, I invited Jesus for the first time to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life. And 
I invite you, if you prayed that prayer, just check that box. And, and we won't embarrass you in any way. We just want to come alongside of you and just support you and walk with you on this journey that you're on. And so we want to just celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. If you prayed the other prayer, if there's anything else that God is doing in your heart or, or asking you to respond in any way, if you want to communicate that with us down in the comment sections, we want to celebrate that with you and we want to resource you in any way that we can. And so we, we invite you to do that. This is a, a great way for us to be able to celebrate together what God is doing in our midst. So we encourage you to do that. There's some buckets that are um, on the aisle seats. So on the outside, they're on the outside aisle. and the center aisle, I guess they're on your left side, my right side. So if you grab those and just pass those down, we'll collect all of those Connect cards. And as we do that, um, let's just worship the Lord for His goodness, for His mercy, for the call that He's placed on our lives, for who He is to us, for, for what, who we are to Him. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of do all this together. But would you guys help us as we wrap things up?